Good morning, everyone. This is the Healthy Idea Podcast by Iman and Nico. I'm Iman. And I'm Nico. And on our podcast, we sit down with founders on how they're using new technologies to solve critical health issues that face our society today. We learn more about their journeys into entrepreneurship and how they started their company. We hope to shed light on innovations in health and encourage you to think on the art of what's possible with technology today. For a bit more info on Valera Health, Valera Health is a one-stop shop for patients to manage their mental health using a digital platform. Patients can access their therapist and psychiatrist in one place with a dedicated health coach that help coordinate their care and support their wellness goals throughout your treatment. Valera Health also partners with providers to deliver real-time insights into patient needs, allowing care managers to deliver timely personalized interventions to patients. Hi, everyone. This is the Healthy Idea Podcast with Iman and Nico. Today, we have the Chief Medical Officer of Valera Health, David Mao. And David's company here at Valera supports cognitive behavioral therapy by improving access to mental health counselors, psychiatrists, and trying to amplify behavioral health care. David, it's great to have you on today. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Great. So I guess first question is, can you tell us a bit more about yourself and your company? Yeah, absolutely. So I am trained as a psychiatrist. I graduated from the Mass General Hospital and McLean residency programs and became very interested in entrepreneurship from a pretty early time. Did my first company in college that failed miserably. And then during med school, I tried again and that was more successful. And then this would be the third one, which I started right before residency and became very interested in. And so what struck me was three very significant problems with mental health. The first one would have to do with access. So if a primary care doctor told you that you needed to see a psychiatrist, your average wait time would be months. So if you felt depressed and you wanted to see someone, you would literally have to wait months before you see someone. That's a massive problem. The second thing is mental health and psychiatry in general, we haven't really embraced data science and actually measuring the quality of the care that we provide. And I see that as a major problem currently, but also a major opportunity because we do have ways to measure the quality of treatment by seeing how depressed you were when you first joined the program and then how depressed you were afterwards. And hopefully there's a big decrease. And lastly, the thing that struck me about mental health was that it didn't really embrace technology that much. Um, If you think about it, therapy is probably one of the things that you can make remote quite easily through video chat that's secured and HIPAA compliant, but it's not something that was widely, widely used. And we're beginning to see that change. So we're thinking about really the idea of how do we increase access to quality and then maximize convenience for patients as much as possible. So that was the original inspiration for Valera Health, and we're continuing to do that four years in. That's great. Actually, that leads me up to my next question, and it has to do with the video chat ability and, and the digital technology around that. You know, there's companies today, there's Doctors on Demand and 98.6 and tele, Telemedicine. What led you to start Valera Health amongst that competition, and how do you find your company to give something different? Yeah, a couple of things. Well, first of all, I would say it's still the case that a minority of patients use 
teletherapy, telepsychiatry. I think the major reason is not that because they don't want it. It's because they, it was never offered to them. Or if it was offered to them, the onboarding of the technology was never simple for them. And so it was difficult for them to, to use. The user experience wasn't good enough. So I think there's a big greenfield opportunity here that many, many, many companies can get in on. And I think that's bearing out in the market. So that's one. The second thing is, I think we are differentiated in the sense that we really are gearing our product and our services towards value-based care. So most of your listeners probably know that the world of healthcare in the U.S. is moving from fee-for-service to fee-for-value. Fee-for-service yep. meaning that you get paid for how much medical care you provide, whereas fee-for-value means that it doesn't matter how much services you provide, but it really matters what was the outcome. Did the patient actually get better, right? And as we're making that transition, you have to measure outcomes in a very detailed way. And so we're doing that. So for example, if we have a depressed patient, we will measure their depression scores at the beginning, throughout the program, and at the end. If it's an anxiety patient, we would follow their G87s, which is validated survey for their anxiety symptoms. And along the way, we're tracking all of these metrics that other companies are not. So we're really getting geared up for the fee-for-value world. And I think that's what investors are very interested in right now as well. That's so stimulating. I think that that's something that you don't really hear too much about when you think of fee No, that's value. fantastic. And I and yeah. I saw that you guys, I was perusing your guys' website. And I saw you guys had done a study either a year or two ago where basically you show that people that were on your platform with their case managers, case managers were able to see more patients and the patients that they were seeing ended up having better health outcomes. Yeah, that's right. So here's the thing. Here's a beautiful thing about technology. You can actually measure all these things that could not be measured when the patient was just in a therapy session. So we could count the number of chats that they've had or how long their conversations were, or did they fill out the survey that we sent them? And when we send them an article to read, it might be something about education. It could be something about cognitive behavioral therapy. We could actually track, did they actually open it? And so these are things that we just hoped that the patient used back in the day when we didn't have technology. But now that this is all digital, we have these digital breadcrumbs to lead us to do this kind of data science. So I think it's a brave new world where we can really bring a lot of data to mental health care. And I should say that if a startup or any company refuses to publish their data in a peer-reviewed journal, which means that it's, it's rigorous and peer-reviewed by other experts in the field, I wouldn't trust them because it means that that data, they just don't feel like it's strong enough to survive the ability for editors to tear it apart from the academic sphere. So I think that is really, really important. And I, I may mention that throughout this, I've continued to be a research in a suicide research lab at Harvard Department of Psychology, where we try to predict suicidal behaviors using digital data. So how much people move, how much people text and things along those lines, and how they fill out these surveys. So the idea being that you have to be rigorous about this. There are no shortcuts you know, when you want to do this kind of thing. And so you have to get very, very serious with the data science as well as with the clinical care. Mm -hmm. No, I, I totally agree. Myself, I come from an engineering background, did some medical research. Definitely just the importance of actually demonstrating outcomes, I think is super important. And also to, to patients as well. You know, If people want to put the time towards learning a new technology, learning a new tool, they want to know that it's worth it because at the end of the day, if one too many bad experiences, people then start giving up on technology and platforms of this nature, which is always frustrating. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. You know, also to mention that the status quo before the technology, what people say is that, oh, well, people want therapy because look, they're lining out the door. 
But frankly, the experience is just not great. Can you imagine being referred to a therapist and then you go to the office and you're sitting in a room with 20 other people, some who may be colleagues, some who may be friends or friends of friends. It's an anxiety-provoking situation. You have to commute maybe 30 minutes one way and 30 minutes back. This experience is just very analog and not at all digital. And so the idea is that how come we can't accelerate mental health to its new instantiation in the 21st century? And I think the restrictions and the barriers for doing that are all falling by the wayside. So I think that really is going to be a major opportunity. No, I was just going to say that's a phenomenal point because I think what digital has allowed us to do is actually focus in on the experience piece. And especially with mental health, I feel like that's become the focal point because it's such a big issue, as you just mentioned. And then I also wanted to say about the data science, using it as a methodology to really showcase value. Because we talk about fee-for-value and in value-based care, and it's pretty hard to prove what we consider value. I think the data science piece is going to be such a, a catalyst for that. And I loved what you were mentioning about like the number of messages that were sent and these things that we don't think about when we're receiving healthcare, especially in areas like counseling. There are total areas that we can capture as data points, and we, we think of it only as qualitative, but absolutely not. There's space for data collection. Yeah, that's right. Here's a good analogy. So if you look at diabetes, which is as medical of a chronic condition as you can get, right? they've done studies to show that if you can prevent someone from getting diabetes, you can save however many thousand dollars over 18 months. Right. Here's the thing. No one until relatively recently has done this with mental health. And what they showed is that imagine a patient with diabetes and depression compared to a patient with just diabetes, that former patient costs about two to three times as much to take care of than the latter patient. So only recently did we discover how much of a drag and how difficult it is for the healthcare system to manage patients with comorbid mental health and chronic medical conditions. And so it's imperative for us to come up with ways to now address the depression. Now, there are still challenges, right? Because, you know, I mentioned for the diabetes, you, you might be able to show efficacy within 12 to 18 months. But for something with depression, the return on investment, it could be a little bit longer, two to three years, sometimes a little bit longer than that as well. So now for the longest time, insurance companies haven't seen the data. Now they see it. And now they're much more willing to say, okay, this is very, very important. This becomes a critical part of our investment strategy going forward in order to provide comprehensive health care for our patients. There's going to be a sea change in the coming years, and we'd love to be part of that. So the next question we'd love to ask, and serve you can give a better idea, is what is the business model that Valera is kind of subscribing to? So would you say that Valera is more B2B, B2C, or a combination of the two? Yeah, we're kind of interesting. So we're B2C directly. So what we do is certainly if you go to valerahealth.com, mm-hmm. you can find a therapist or a psychiatrist. And yep. we provide that for people. And we uh, one thing that we really pride ourselves because we care so much about quality is that these are highly vetted therapists and psychiatrists. We give care in a very coordinated way. So that's one. But we also contract with insurance companies, healthcare insurance companies, in order to provide care under their aegis, right? So the idea is that we can get credentialed under certain insurance companies, and then they would send their patients our way because they trust that we would provide the best care possible. Right. Interesting enough there, I talked about value-based care. 
we are about to announce a couple of uh, contracts. I can't say it right now, but it's coming in the news soon where we are designing value-based contracts. Meaning if we can get in touch with their patients within seven days after they leave the emergency room, we would get paid on that quality that we would be able to deliver instead of just, okay, we provided a certain volume of services, right? So we're already beginning to do that. And the goal is to eventually get to full value, full risk bearing contracts with insurance companies. One, that's super exciting. Two, I just want to summarize. When I was doing research on you guys, I was also trying to understand it. You guys have a B2C arm that I've seen that if I wanted to right now, I could go on your guys' website and I could find a therapist or a psychiatrist. But at the same time, you guys are also working with various health organizations, providers to actually almost offering your software as like a SaaS product where you basically will onboard their psychiatrists, physician care providers onto the platform in order to offer better care for their patients. Is that correct? Yeah. So we offered that as well. What I was referring to earlier is that we actually onboard them with our providers Right, but the the insurance companies trust us because they've worked with us from the software side before, and so they want their patients to be seen by our providers. And I then, see. and the way we structure the payment is we do some conventional fee for service, of course, but we're also as much as we can throwing value in there. Meaning, if the patients do better, we do better. And the idea is to inch towards that as quickly as possible, so that eventually we could take as much risk as possible. No, that makes a ton of sense. And one of the questions I had is when I went on your guys' website, I saw that most of your psychiatrists were based out of New York. So for these providers that you're you're partnering with and they're sending you their patients, are they also all based out of New York? Because from what I understand, for, for telemedicine and for prescriptions, you have to have people practicing in the same state that your patient is receiving medication. Or is it more the talk therapy and the anxiety management side of therapy? Yeah, it's a great question. So because of the pandemic, a lot of states have reduced the restrictions for Mm. the licensing because there's such a growing demand for mental health. You probably have seen the news that there was a New York doctor that committed suicide after treating many, many COVID patients. And this is becoming a very, very serious issue across the country. So most states are very quickly accelerating licensing for doctors and therapists. And we're taking advantage of that to grow and provide care to to patients who really, really need them. And the idea is that we want to be able to treat their depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts as quickly as possible. And states like Arizona and Florida have done a good job of lowering these restrictions so that we could help their patients as quickly as possible. Oh, wow. I had no idea that was happening, but that that makes a ton of sense to me. So would you say that fundamentally you've seen an uptick in demand for mental health since coronavirus has entered the news and become more and more part of the mainstream in everyday life? Oh, no question. I I would say the demand has more than doubled and it's going to stay high, I think, for a long time. Think about it. We're under an economic recession right now, and that's going to be super challenging for a lot of people in the times to come. The other thing I would say is that this is not just a blip, and I see this as more of a permanent situation because a lot of people come flu season again. I don't think they're going to be raring to go to the hospital for their therapy appointments anymore. So I Mm -hmm. see this as, if anything, a catalyst for digital health and for teletherapy and telepsychiatry. I definitely agree. So I've had family who's dealt with mental health issues in the past. And one of the mental health challenges that they've tackled was depression. And sometimes there'd be days where they don't want to drive, you know, half an hour 
to go see their therapist. You know, they're having a hard time enough just getting up and getting their day started. So I, I definitely see from just a user perspective that that being really, really desirable. Yeah, that's exactly right. If you think about it, so the the group of people who are willing to get up and like you said, go over that barrier and then drive 30 minutes in, find parking and go see their therapist, right? If that group is already saturating the market and causing months of wait time, you can imagine there's probably millions of other Americans who are suffering from mental illnesses who are just not getting the light of day. They're just suffering mm-hmm. and they're not getting the treatment they need. And so that's what we really want to shine a light on. And those are the patients that we really want to take care of. So I guess we were talking about, you know, really helping people, really gearing people up to, you know, be able to get up, go to work in the morning, overcome whatever mental illness. And I guess when you're building a business like this, you need people who are just as passionate about helping people. I was curious, how are you getting therapists and and physicians who may not be as accustomed to the digital or telemedicine space, how are you getting them on your platform and partnering with you guys? It's a good question. It's pretty, pretty impressive. So I think people are certainly having a lot of opportunities today, again, because of the luge of demand for mental health. I will say that over 90% of the people that we approach fall in love with our product and want to work with us. And I think the reason is actually not about compensation, not about other things, but it's because our vision is really to provide the best quality care for patients. And what I mean by this is this is such a difference between us and a lot of our competitors who focus on volume. They really need as many providers as they can get, and they sign these large contracts, and they have to staff those places, and they don't really care about quality. As long as they're reaching compliance and getting enough providers to, to see those patients, they're okay with it. Those clinicians burn out. Because the reason that we psychiatrists and therapists sign up for this is because we want to take care of patients. But when there's, let's say we're demanded to see a certain number of patients over a certain amount of time that we know that we're not providing the best quality care, is a serious cause for burnout. So when they see that we're highly focused on quality, we would cut no corners in order to provide our patients the best care possible, regardless of whether they're cash paying patients or whether they're, they're getting insurance or whether they're you know coming from Medicare or Medicaid. I think that's a huge attractant for people to see because it to them, it feels like a completely different ethos when it comes to approaching a mental health delivery. Yeah, exactly. I like that it's all centered about the quality of care. And that's how you've been able to attract that talent and, and surround the ethos. Great. And I think a secondary piece of that actually is I, I now get how you got these amazing therapists and people who are about the the ethical dilemma of solving mental health through telemedicine and doing it with with quality in mind is how do you build it from the business perspective? Like, how did you find your co-founders, for example? Yeah, so I think a lot of this is chance and luck in a way. <laughs> I was introduced to my co-founder, Tom, who has an illustrious career in industry. He was a former chief medical officer at Merck and before that wrote part of Obamacare. And so I think a lot of it is just meeting as many people as possible. And the advice for entrepreneurs is don't settle. So keep on meeting people uh, as many as possible. Take every single meeting that you get offered and investigate each opportunity very seriously. So there's no magic formula here, but other than to be very perseverative and you know, don't give up and keep on screening until you found the opportunity that you feel like you, you just can't turn down. 
for sure. Awesome. I'm glad that it was it was a bit of luck. I feel like everything is a bit of luck, but that's that's really good to hear. And I guess did you ever realize, you know, while you were going and in, in starting the company, did you ever have a point where you saw, wow, you know, this platform really has traction. Like I, I really believe this can scale and we can really achieve this this kind of target goal that of, of being like a, a larger telemedicine quality software rather a larger telemedicine quality-based company yeah i mean i think that was always in the crosshairs and you know right now we're treating thousands of patients our goal really is to hit millions within the next few years and i think we can do that you know we're raising another round of investments and we're aggressively expanding to different states so you know i think this is definitely within you know the startup ethos to get out there as quickly as possible while, while not shirking anything on quality Great. You know, there are so many cases where startups kind of fall into a sludge of, you know, perhaps you, you don't make that KPI that you wanted to make. You don't end up getting that customer that you so desperately needed. I'm glad that it's been a better pro- positive trajectory for Valera. And it sounds like focusing in on the value prop and focusing in on what you're really delivering to people, which is higher quality mental health services has benefited and has continued to grow the team. I have a curious curiosity. You know, you kind of already touched upon it with COVID-19, but what other implications of COVID-19 has impacted Valera Health? Yeah, you know, I think it's largely positive because I would say teletherapy, telehealth in general has been slowly growing in influence over the past few years. And I would say this pandemic has been a catalyst to get that to go much, much, much faster. And so uh, people are realizing that not only can they do this because the technology is there, but now it's they trust it and they, they get used to it. And so again, I don't see people moving backwards and depending on in-person care only after, after some time. And you can still imagine that in-person care is still valuable. And so they may have a hybrid version where they would do some appointments in person and then other appointments tell us. So, you know, I think this is a big game changer. And I think the silver lining here is that it accelerates all types of digital health as a space. And so I think that's that's really important. And I think that's a positive thing, ultimately. I agree. I think that the landscape for healthcare has changed dramatically with COVID-19. The things that I predicted would be, you know, telemedicine oriented or things that are application oriented in the next five years are now happening now. And that's changing the way patients are thinking about their own healthcare kind of delivered. So you mentioned like, you don't anticipate people going to the hospitals as normally as as they do, even if it's flu season. I totally agree with that. And I think maybe this was a catalyst that really pushed what gaps there were with the healthcare system. And I'm glad companies like Valera are getting more and more attention in that I mean, I, I hope you guys are not being slammed right now, but in terms of work, but slammed in a good way and happy that that we were able to kind of learn more. Yeah, demand for care is always a good thing. And so we're, we're trying to sustain and grow as, as quickly as possible. You know, I think a big part of this is that during any crisis, there's going to be a lot of opportunity to change things for the better. And so as much as this pandemic has exposed some of the weaknesses of our healthcare system, it also has attracted a lot of people who are mission-driven who want to address those specific gaps. And so you know, I think it's going to be a time of great change in the coming months, and I think that's going to be a positive thing. For sure. Thank you so much, David. Nico, is there anything else you wanted to mention? The next question I have is kind of 
from what I understand, Valera Health actually has grown and you guys have several dozens, maybe hundreds, according to Crunchbase, employees. So I would love to hear about kind of what that process looked like when it came to first growing your team and making those decisions and like what thought process went into that. Yeah. So when we decided to grow, it's it's important to keep the culture intact as much as possible, especially if a lot of these providers are providing care remotely. And so we try to institute things that allow providers to get in touch with each other easily and ask questions if they have questions about technical issues or clinical issues. And I think what we find is that when we really present the company as we're trying to design the next generation mental health system, people whose eyes lit up are the ones who really care about that mission and the ones who mm-hmm. are looking for, okay, I just want another day job or another part-time gig. It's very clear. And so it's actually mm-hmm. been quite easy identifying the people that we think would add real value to patients into the company, but you know, we're still growing. And so still have a lot to learn, but so far it's been a very positive experience. Gotcha. So definitely just looking for those people that are fundamentally driven by their mission. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. My next question, I would love to know, I mean, I hear this title quite a few times and it means different things at different companies, but I would love to know about what the role of chief medical officer looks like at Valera Health. And then with that, you know, how do you find yourself spending your time and what problems are you thinking about? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting in a startup, doesn't matter where you are, your, your job's just change on a day-to-day basis and right. do everything for everything. So I run the clinical programs. So I talk to all the therapists and the psychiatrists and the nurse practitioners in order to define their clinical programs. I do supervision for a number of the providers in case that they want to talk about certain cases and really design the clinical workflow for how patients enter the system and do better in the system and how they leave the system. In addition to that, as I mentioned, data science is a, a critical part of our DNA and I run the data science team, and that's where we published the article in the peer review journal that you talked about. And so those are the two major responsibilities. But I'm out there pitching, gathering investments, talking to our partners, supervising our program managers. So a little bit of everything, frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a startup, and your other entrepreneurs on this podcast probably have mentioned it, but you know, a lot of the stuff is just grunt work. A lot of it is just get your hands dirty get this thing working and uh, being able to be flexible as much as possible and you know not not so glamorous work and that's part that's part of the game yeah no definitely just doing whatever it is that you need to do to get things done yeah got it second last question is moving forward you know what's next for valera health expansion so i think that's where we love to get more patients both from the d2c market as well as you know, talk to more payers and get on more panels and so that uh, they can refer patients to us. We're very open to expanding to all 50 states and trying to get to a few million patients in the coming years. So as quickly as we can replicate what we've been able to do in New York and Florida and increasingly in Arizona and uh, Wisconsin, where that's the goal uh, for the future. No, that's fantastic. And it's so exciting. So where can people go to learn more about the amazing work that you're doing at Valera Health? Website is probably the best place, valerahealth.com, V-A-L-E-R-A health.com. 
And if people are looking for individual therapy or psychiatric care, you can certainly find it there. And also, you know, feel free to maybe reach out to you and then you can you can get in touch with me <laughs> if they have any other questions about the company and partnering in other ways. Me and Aman would love to serve that as an intermediary. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. Your attention means the world to us. If you enjoyed today's episode, please feel free to share this episode with a friend. And if you really enjoyed it, if you could go ahead and leave a rating and a review on whatever platform you get your podcasts, Iman and I would be over the moon. Stay tuned for our next episode.